Our scripture reading comes from Jeremiah chapter 31, beginning in verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I had with their fathers on the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and will remember their sin no more. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Would you pray with me? God, we are thankful for your word this morning. Thankful for what it teaches us, what it tells us. We're thankful for the prophecy from the Old Testament that we see fulfilled in the New Testament. We're thankful for the work of Jesus that makes it possible. We're thankful for hope today. We're thankful for a living hope today. And so God, we pray that you would prepare our hearts to accept your word. We pray that you would silence in us any voice but your own, that hearing we may also obey your will through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. If you have a Bible this morning, I invite you to turn to Jeremiah chapter 31. If you're using a pew Bible this morning, that's on page 666, the black pew Bible this morning. As we already said this morning, next Sunday night is our annual meeting. And the members of First Baptist Church will be asked to approve a revised church covenant. The revisions have been communicated. They are on the Welcome Center. They've been in the email for the past several weeks. The revisions are related to updating, uh, to organizing the covenant a little bit differently, more accurately and biblically describing what we as a church are committing ourselves to. This revised covenant, uh, I will want you to know, is a, a borrowed covenant from a sister church in our association. Uh, we made one small addition to it. That might seem strange to you, but it would also be worth knowing that our current covenant is a borrowed covenant used by many other like-minded churches. I was recently talking to a young man who grew up in our church and who has since moved away, and he did not know that we even had a church covenant. And maybe some of you did not know that we had a church covenant. To be fair, it's not a document that we have spent a lot of time talking about or asking for you to look at when you have become a member. But if we're going to have a covenant, we ought to know what it says, and we ought to be in agreement on it. So this morning, I would like to consider what a covenant is, what is the value or the reason for the covenants, 
for a covenant, and then what is our proposed covenant this morning. So first, a covenant. A covenant is a, a, an agreement, one definition is this, an agreement of mutual obligation contracted deliberately with solemnity. An agreement of mutual obligation deliberately, contracted deliberately with solemnity. As it relates to a church covenant, it is a promise, it is a promise and an agreement to God and to each other. This covenant is a a biblical uh, or ethical statement about our lifestyle as members of this local church. This covenant speaks to what we are for, as well as some of the things that we are against. Churches can often be labeled more for what they are against than what they are for. So this covenant deals with both. We're not ashamed of or silent about what we are against, but we don't want to be known only for what we are against. Against This, this covenant is a summation. It is a, a synopsis of how we agree to live as members of this church. Uh, we cannot possibly contain all of our beliefs in one statement. Similarly, a marriage covenant is, a, is a, a summation or a summary of what we commit to our spouse. Certainly, it does not include every possible promise. So, that's what a covenant is, but why, why should we have one as a church? Well, you just heard read Jeremiah chapter 31, and where God speaks of a covenant. He speaks about an old covenant and a new covenant. If you listen again to verses 33 and 34, talking about this new covenant. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor or his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. The prophet Jeremiah is prophesying of this coming covenant. The, the, the old covenant being in effect at the time. The law which would be replaced with this new covenant. The, the, the writer of Hebrews picks this up. This new covenant idea throughout the letter of uh, the letter written, um, the, the book of Hebrews, uh, showing how Christ is the high priest of the new covenant, the new and better covenants. In this covenant, as we read in verse 34 of Jeremiah 31, and as we read again in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12, is a covenant in which God forgives iniquities and remembers sins no more. And not only for Israel, The new covenant extends past the people of Israel, as the old covenant did, to now all who would come to Christ in repentance and in faith. All who are in Christ, then, are in the new covenant. 
in this new relationship with God. John Piper writes, the new covenant is the ultimate reason why it is fitting for local churches to be formed as covenant communities. Assemblies that covenant to be the church for, that's what they are, assemblies that covenant to be the church for each other. He continues, Christ has created us by a covenant to be his people. Not just individuals. This is important. Christ has created us by a covenant to be his people, not just individuals. When Christ calls us, he doesn't call us just to be a a Christian by ourselves. He calls us to a people. There are persons because there are a people. There are individuals because there is a group. God calls us to a a community, a a covenant, a covenantal community, to a people, a, a body, a bride for himself. Again, quoting Piper here. To fulfill that covenant calling demands that we form assemblies called churches, visible churches, which is some way, which in some way make a covenant together before the body of Christ, for each other, for the world, and for the glory of God, end quote. So then, our covenantal relationship with God is displayed in a covenant community with one another. So because of the covenant that we have with God, as the people of God, we then covenant together as a local assembly of believers, a faith family, we might say. So what about our covenant? What are we covenanting together about? This revised covenant that we're presenting as four paragraphs, and so we'll take them each in turn this morning. The first is what we might refer to as a prologue. It reads like this. Having been led, as we believe, by the Spirit of God to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior and on the profession of our faith, having been baptized by the, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we do now in the presence of God and angels and to this assembly most solemnly and joyfully enter into covenant with one another as one body in Christ, as many members of this body of Christ, we recognize God arranged each member that the member, that the body may function as one with each member faithfully and regularly exercising spiritual gifts to the glory of God and for the care of one another. Uh, This first paragraph serves as an introduction into the covenant as well as stating the conditions for the covenant. Who, Who is this covenant to be with? Those who have received the Lord Jesus Christ, made made a profession of our faith, and have been baptized on that profession of faith. So this covenant community can only be with those who know Christ. Why? Because the church is the church only so far as the members are Christians. We are not just a group of people who gather and sing together. We're not just a group of people who who randomly get together. We are a group who who have agreed together about something, believed something. Now, this might seem obvious to you that the, the church is only the church so far as it is made up of Christians, but it bears repeating because this is Christ's church. It's not my church. 
It's not all of you getting, coming here agreeing with me. It's not all of you agreeing with a, a deacon or your Sunday school teacher or the, the person in the pew beside you. No, we're, we're all coming to agree on one central and fundamental reality, and that is the person and the work of Jesus. This is Christ's church. So this assembly is an assembly of his people, his body. As Christians, as his people then, we enter into a covenant with one another as one unified body. And this language of body is picked up by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I invite you to turn there to page 959 if you're using a pew Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul, excuse me, the Apostle Paul, yes, uh, writes about the body of Christ. And in verse 12 of chapter 12, he says this, using this, this illustration of the body. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body. So it is with Christ. So he takes the physical body and says, the physical body is made up of many members. And those many members together are, are one body. Look at verse 13. For in one spirit, we are all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. And all were made to drink of one spirit. Look at verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. To, to rightly image the body of Christ, we need more than one member. You by yourself, me with my Bible at home, we are not the church. We are not the body of Christ. The body of Christ is the people of God together, not one individual alone. We are a people. We are not just individuals. The body of Christ is many members all Christians everywhere from the day of Pentecost until the day Christ returns are the body of Christ. We understand that to be true. They, they are the church, capital C. And so some people say, well, why do I need to be part of a local church? If I'm a Christian, I'm part of the church. Isn't that good enough? But, but we then say, well, how do we, how do we see the, visible, the, the universal church? How, how do we know who's part of the universal church? We see it through the local church. The local church makes visible the universal or global church. Why? Because covenanting together, we agree together. We agree that, that we are Christians. We agree that, that we are in alignment with what it means to believe, what it means to follow Jesus, what the gospel is. We affirm to one another if, if, if we are Christians or not. That's how the universal church is made visible, through local churches, local assemblies. The local church is the universal church with flesh. Members of, of local assemblies put flesh on the body of Christ. It's in this context that, that we exercise spiritual gifts. You have a spiritual gift. How is that to be used? It's used within the body of Christ. Well, where is the body of Christ but in the local church? That's where you use it. That's what the gifts are for, for the glory of God, as the covenant says, and the care of one another. 
as a covenant community, we are agreeing to who is part of this assembly, that being those who have been saved, those who are baptized, to what this assembly is. It's the local body of Christ and how we function as one body. The next three paragraphs speak to more uh, specifics with what we are to be in agreement with. First, the mission. The covenant reads, regarding the mission of this church, we propose, we purpose by the aid of the Holy Spirit and for the glory of God to walk together in Christian love, to strive for the advancement of this church in knowledge and holiness, to promote its prosperity and spirituality, to sustain its worship ordinances, discipline, and doctrines, and to contribute cheerfully to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel through all nations, making more and better disciples. The mission of the church is the glory of God. Simply put, it is the glory of God. The Apostle Paul writes, whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. We do that, how? By walking together in love, by striving for the advancement of the church, to promote the prosperity of the church, sustain the worship and the ordinances and discipline and doctrine, to contribute to the church, to make more and better disciples. That's, that's how we bring glory to God. That's how we fulfill the mission of God. Our desire for our church is to be what is described in Acts chapter 16, verse 5. And this is what Luke says of the churches. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they, were, and they, they increased in numbers daily. And from that, we get more and better. Or if we put it in order, better and more. They, they strengthened in their faith. Listen, if you're part of this church, we want you to be able to look back a year from now, two years from now, five years from now, and see the strength of your faith having increased. Our desire is not for you to stay the same. You might say, shouldn't we you know, remain faithful and never, never change? No, we want you to change. Even, even, I, even your theology should change. As you get to know God more, your theology should deepen. You should come to recognize that, man, what I believed when I was 20 or 30 I've come to a better understanding as I've read the Bible and as I've learned. If we think we've all mastered our theology when we were 25, <laughs> no. No, we haven't. We haven't mastered anything at 25. Sorry, 25-year-olds. <laughs> right? And we all can attest to that. We've all been there. And so certainly we'd be there theologically. And guess what? You haven't mastered it at 55. And you haven't mastered it at 65 or 75 or 85. None of us will. What's the point? The point is that we're growing. The point is that we're changing. The mission of God is that we are walking together in Christian love and striving that we would grow in knowledge and in holiness. Not just in knowledge. We're not here just to fill our mind with something. It's not just, just information download. That's not what we're doing here. Holiness. That we would become more and more like Jesus. That we would get to know God more and more. 
this growth and this advancement of the church is not for our own glory. It is not to have the biggest church in town or to draw a crowd. It's not to build our little kingdom. It's not to feel good about ourselves. It's not. It's for the sake of Christ. It's for the sake of the people. It's in order that people would know God's love. It's in order that the gospel would be shared and the disciples would be made. Matthew chapter 28 says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is our mission. And I want you to know that it's happening. Just this past Wednesday, one of our Awana workers sat with a child at a table in the basement of this church as they professed their faith in Christ. More and better disciples are being made. It's happening. This is what we're covenanting together to see. To see more people knowing God and making him known. The third paragraph speaks to our lifestyle and our witness. Regarding our families and witness for Christ, we purpose to maintain family and personal devotions, to religiously educate our children in the truths of Christ and his word, to seek the salvation of our family and acquaintances, to walk carefully in the world, to be just in our dealings, faithful in our commitments, exemplary in our behavior, to avoid all gossip, slander, in inappropriate anger, to abstain from all behaviors that are spiritually and morally destructive, harmfully addictive, or would cause a fellow believer to stumble, and to be zealous in our effort to advance the kingdom of our Savior. The New Testament calls us to be in the world. We don't get to just crawl under a rock and wait for Jesus to come back. We live in this world. We operate in this world, but we are not to be of the world. As families and witnesses for Christ, we commit to walk carefully in the world. That reminds us of Ephesians chapter 5 that says this, Look carefully then how you walk, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. Why? Because the days are evil. We do, not do good. we do not do good works in order to be saved. We are not saved by works. We are saved for works. We do not earn God's salvation by doing good deeds. But because of God's love for us in Christ, we will want to do good. We will want to obey. We will want to follow him. We will want to love what he loves. We will want to pursue the holiness that he calls us to in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 through 16, that says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. As part of our witness for Christ. We pursue holiness, and therefore we abstain from sin. We abstain from behaviors that are spiritually and morally destructive, harmfully addictive, or would cause a fellow believer to stumble. What we don't have here in the covenant is a list of do's and don'ts. 
We don't have a list of behaviors that are on the, the do not list. In the past, churches have tended to highlight specific behaviors that they would personally or, or as an organization find reprehensible. This statement actually is broader than any of those and encompassing. So if a behavior is spiritually or morally destructive, we are to abstain. If it is harmfully addictive, we are to abstain. If it would cause a believer, another believer, a brother and sister to stumble, we are to abstain. Now this is not legalism. Some people don't want anybody to tell you what to do with your life, right? You, you, don't, you can't tell me what to do, right? Some of us are like that. We don't like people telling us what to do, right? I think that's most of us, right? We don't like it. So even, even hearing that this morning, some of you probably might feel a little like heavy-handed. Who are you to tell me to abstain? It's my conviction. I'll, I'll abstain from what I want to abstain from, right? Some of you might be thinking that. But what we're suggesting here is not legalism. It's not unnecessary restriction. It's actually how we love our brothers. It's actually foregoing our freedom for the sake of someone else. Can you imagine? Though we are free in Christ, and we are free in Christ. You are free in Christ. That's absolutely true. Our freedom is not a license for abuse of vices or of one another. Rather, it's an opportunity to serve one another in love. Paul writes this in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. For you are called to freedom, brothers. We love that part. Yeah, freedom. You don't, nobody gets to tell me what to do. I can live however I want. It's my conscience. I can live however I want. Yeah, the verse continues. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. The freedom isn't to, to flaunt it. The freedom isn't to say, I can live however I want, and you, can, you just have to put up with it. No, not as a freedom, uh, an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. The freedom in Christ is actually the freedom to lay down our rights, to, to live with an open hand, and say, I would rather not offend you than do this thing that I am free to do. As you consider your witness for Christ, I wonder in what ways are you walking carefully or are not walking carefully? And Ephesians tells us to, to be, the, the old English I think is, or the old King James is circumspectly, to be careful, to pay attention, to make sure you're, you're, you're doing what God would have you to do. Have you asked yourself, does this please the Lord? You might think you have freedom to do it, but does it please the Lord? Do we care what pleases the Lord? Not what pleases somebody else. Not what pleases your pastor or your parents. What pleases the Lord? In what ways is your witness for Christ being compromised by not walking carefully? Brothers and sisters, in Christ, you are empowered with his Spirit. And as we walk in the Spirit's, Galatians 5 also tells us that we produce the fruit of the spirits. It's the fruit of the spirits, not the fruit of me. It's not the fruit of you. It's the fruit of the spirit. It's what the spirit is doing in your life as we submit ourselves to him. Finally, 
The fourth paragraph regards our church family. Regarding our church family and personal relationships, we, we propose to watch over one another in brotherly love, to remember each other in prayer, to aid each other in sickness and distress, to nurture Christian sympathy and courtesy in speech, and to, bestow, to, to be slow to take offense, but always ready for reconciliation mindful of the instruction of our Savior, and to restore all relationships without delay. We, moreover, purpose that when we move from this assembly, we will, as soon as possible, unite with some other church where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant and the principles of God's word. We are a family. We are a family. In Christ, we are children of God, and therefore, brothers and sisters. That's quite the image, isn't it? It's quite the concept of what a family, of, of what we are. The, the use here of, of, of the church as a family or, or as a faith family is accurate. And it, I find it quite stirring, in fact, to think of one another in that way. But if it's true, if it's actually true, that we are brothers and sisters, if it's actually true that we're family, it would, it would be revealed in how we treat each other, wouldn't it? It would be revealed in, in how we care for one another or watch over one another in brotherly love, how we remember each other in prayer, how we aid each other in sickness and distress, how we nurture Christian sympathy and courtesy in speech. How we're slow to take offense. We believe the best about each other. That we're always ready for reconciliation. That we're ready to restore all relationships without delay. That's a family. That's a family. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10 says, So then, as you have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. What's that mean? It means the members of the family, the family of God. As we have opportunity, you might not always have the opportunity, but when you do have the opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially those who are part of the family of God. So we wonder, how can we love each other better this week? What are ways that we can look to aid and care for one another? There are needs. You have needs. So you know everybody else has needs. You're not alone in your needs. What are ways that we can care for one another? Relationships are hard, aren't they? And offenses happen. You know that. I know that. In what ways are you ready to reconcile? Who do you need to reconcile with today? Just last week, we talked about being ministers of reconciliation. And how can we rec reconcile? How can we share the message of reconciliation with the world when we're unwilling to reconcile with our brothers and sisters? Who do you need to reconcile with this morning? Is there anyone in your life who needs restoration? Again, Galatians chapter, five, chapter 6 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. 
It's important. In the spirit of gentleness, he continues, keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. It is true that we can only do what we can do, but what we can do, we should do. We are responsible for it. In what ways can you show love? What ways can you care for this faith family? At a time in our world where there is disunity everywhere. I'm not sure if you've noticed, but it's pretty polarizing out there. <laughs> you've noticed. It can be pretty polarizing in here too. It ought not to be. As a covenant community, we're agreeing on something. We're, we're agreeing to be a family. We're, we're agreeing to be people who, who don't take offense easily. We're agreeing to be people who will repent to one another. We're agreeing to be people who will receive and give forgiveness. That's the kind of people we're agreeing to be. Because it's the kind of people that the Bible is calling us to be. In a time where there's disunity everywhere, what if the church was actually one body? What if the local church actually stood unified? Not, not, not uniformity, but, but unity. It doesn't mean we all think the exact same way, address the same way, or, or listen to the same things. That's not what it means. But it means. What if we actually all could agree upon the main thing? What if that was the commonality that we held? Even when we have disagreements on other things. This is possible. It's absolutely possible. And it's possible because of what binds us together. It's not our effort. It's not our goodwill. It's not that we, we, we're just going to be really nice to each other. No. It's because Christ binds us together. None of us are that nice. <laughs> right? We're going to mess this thing up left and right. What hope do we have? We have the hope that because there was one who loved us, we can love one another. Because there was someone who served us that we can serve one another. Because someone who forgave us of sins far greater than most of us or any of us will actually experience on our own, we then can forgive one another. That's why. That's why this can work. But it only works if we are submitted to Christ. If you're unwilling to submit yourself to Christ, this doesn't work. If you're unwilling to, to put your life underneath the authority of God's word, it doesn't work. If you're unwilling to keep in step with the spirit, it doesn't work. We must submit ourselves to God. If you are a member, again, you are asked to attend the meeting next Sunday as we consider this recommendation. If you're not a member, we want you to know that this is what we commit ourselves to as members of First Baptists. And if you want to be part of that, there's room in this family for you. But if you're with us this morning and you're not a Christian, you've never, never come to Christ, you've never repented of your sins, you've never understood that Jesus paid 
your debt. And if he did not, you're going to hell. If you've never come to recognize your sin and need for forgiveness, we want you to understand this morning that the basis of this covenant with one another is not some obligation that we're placing upon ourselves. It's not some guilt-motivated decision. But it's the love of Christ that compels us to no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died for us. And that's what he did. He died for us. He died our death. And he rose three days later. And it changed everything. Because of who he is, and because of what he has done, we are forever changed, forever thankful. And we now have the, the responsibility to represent him in this world. What he did by sending his son to pay our debt and save us from eternal punishments, from eternal death, from eternal separation, what, what he did was a rescue mission the likes of no other. And you can know that rescue this morning too. You can know that salvation this morning too if you will recognize Jesus as Lord and Savior. Romans chapter 10, verse nine, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's how we come into a covenant relationship with God, by repenting and believing. And once in that covenant relationship, then, we look to covenant with one another in a local church. This is what he has done for us. All of this is made possible through his son, Jesus. Praise be to Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love for us through your son, Jesus. It's because of what you have done your forgiveness, the relationship that, that has been provided through your son, this covenant relationship that now we are to enter into covenant with one another, that, that we now partner with one another. We join together, we agree together to follow Jesus, to obey him. So Father, I pray for the the members of First Baptist Church, as we determine together the covenant in which we want to enter into, that you'd be glorified in it. This is all about your glory and about our good. As we follow you in obedience, we know that that's good for us. It glorifies you and is a light to the world. So I got, God, I pray that you would help us to be just that. We can't do it on our own. We so need you, desperately need you. So once again, we give thanks for Christ. In his name we pray, amen. Our God, you reign.